Hey friends of Bellwether Friends, Carolyn here. I wanted to say just a couple of things before the episode. First, we talk about two TV shows that are fairly recent, and a few things might be considered spoilers. Second, we wanted to provide a trigger warning. We talk about rape and violence in this episode, and I wanted to say a little bit about our discussion. After we taped the episode, I felt so unbelievably squidgy about it, but I couldn't pinpoint the reason. After listening to the show, I can better articulate it. There's a part where Anna asks me a question about rape, and I answer, but I'm giggling. And when I heard the final cut of the recording, I got uncomfortable all over again. And uh, that's why I had that reaction in the show, my discomfort. I'm that horrible person laughing at the worst moments. So I wanted to say that neither Anna nor I think this is a funny subject. It's awful and it's complicated and so many of us react so differently when faced with something so startlingly wrong. It's hard to talk about such a big subject on such a small scale. I guess I just wanted to let you know. It made me feel awful to talk about it and it may do the same to listen to it. Thanks. Here's the episode. Welcome to Bellwether Friends, definitely not the first podcast featuring a discussion on pop culture and why we think you should like what we like. You should trust us because we're librarians. Every couple of weeks, Anna and I will get together with some non-alcoholic beverage for her and wine for me and chat about a couple of pop culture topics, what we think and how we feel. We'll end the show with our current obsessions. And who are we? I'm Carolyn, a librarian living in Chicago who watches way too much TV. And I'm Anna, a librarian in Western Massachusetts. Um, that's it right now. <laughs> You're like, that, that, that's it. That sums it up. <laughs> so, speaking of TV, that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, we haven't talked about, like, specific current things <laughs> very much. It's mostly been a swamp of nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. So Which is fine. It's, it's great and wonderful, but both of us were kind of feeling like we wanted to talk about something specific. Something right now or right yeah. now-ish. Ish, yeah. So um, both of us took a TV show that uh, one of us has seen all of and the other one has seen very... Some of. Some of. Um, and so we're going to... Each of us is going to take take that show and run with it. So, Anna, what is your show? Okay, so um, I watched all of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which was released all at once on Netflix uh, a couple months ago, I guess. Yeah. And it was a show developed by Tina Fey and um, Robert Carlock. And I guess they pitched it to NBC, and NBC was like, great. And then NBC was like, no. And they sent it to Netflix, and Netflix is happy, and they ordered a second season. Oh, cool. So, um, this is good, because there are a lot of cliffhangers in the first season finale. <laughs> We're like, well, where is this going to go? So, um, uh, we basically watched it, like, over a few days. Okay, yeah. In the way, this is the closest I've come to binging in a while. Nice. Now, how many uh, episodes are there? There are 13 episodes, and it's a comedy, so it's like, you know, 
not a long commitment. <laughs> yeah, it's like 22 minutes an episode. Basically, yeah. yeah. And um, the premise is that Kimmy Schmidt is a woman who has been, he's 29, and has been trapped in a bunker for 15 years. Um, and she's suddenly freed. Um, and she goes to New York for like the talk show circuit, and she decides to stay there. Great. I watched the first two episodes. You watched the first two? Okay. So yeah. you, you're going to miss some of the stuff that I want to talk to you about, but that's okay. That's totally fine. And and I should also say that this episode will probably have spoilers. Yes. I was thinking that as I went out the door this morning. Yeah. So, we should issue a general spoiler alert. Yeah. So if, I'm not going to say too much that's specific, I think. I don't want to I don't want to spoil it too much but Yeah, I won't either. There might but, be but, inadvertent spoilers. Exactly. So <laughs> if you don't want to hear about these shows, just fast forward to the end. The end. The end. <laughs> Spoiler alert over. Um so it's um Ellie Kemper who was in the office. Uh-huh. Um and Titus Burgess who is her super gay roommate. Um Carol Kane is her landlady and Jane Krakowski is her boss. Yes. No, that's basically the main cast, and um, it just each episode is like she's in, um, reintroducing herself to a different aspect of society. Kind of, you know, she's getting a job, she's dating, she's going to school to get her GED, she's um, becoming involved with various people along the way, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and. Toward the end of the season, she kind of ends up back where she uh, was bunkered. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, for the for this sort of closing arc of the season where we get to meet the cult leader that held her captive, played by John Hamm. Ah, uh, okay, because in the first episode, you don't see him. You just see his back. Right. I don't know if they had John Hamm at that point, but now... It's John Hamm, for All sure. Right. Okay. So if you like John Hamm, you can look forward to that. If you don't Mad Men tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> right. I haven't seen Mad Men, so you know. <laughs> um so I would say I enjoyed the show. I thought it was funny. The joke ratio is pretty good. Um there were a couple of things that I've seen people talking about on the internet that I wanted to talk about with you also. In yes, a, indeed. In a general sense. So number one her employer, Jane Krakowski, there's a whole episode arc, and it's brought up a couple of more times, that she's actually supposed to be Native American and passing as white in the city. And so you see her Native American parents, and she's like, it's supposed to be a teenager. She's like, I, you know, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to marry a rich guy, and I'm going to live out my dreams or whatever. And that's what she does. And so... That's one thing <laughs> that okay. when I saw it, I was kind of like, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. And another thing is that she meets a guy in her GED class who's Vietnamese and his name is Dong. And right. he, it's, you can remember 16 Candles. Yes, yes. yes. So there's a certain amount of that. Okay. That seems to be going on. Like he's he delivers Chinese food. He likes math. Math. You know. He's anxious about being deported, and so on. And then the third 
um, thing is her super gay roommate, Titus, who is super, super, super gay. Great. Yes. <laughs> so all three of these things are, are either or both stereotypical, mm-hmm. although the Native American passing storyline is not often seen, I would say. No, I didn't realize that she was supposed to be passing. I thought she was just dressing up as Native American. No, no, she is Native American, <laughs> and she's supposed to be passing as white. As white, okay. And so I don't know how to f- feel about this. Now, you know, I belong to a couple, I guess you could say, marginalized groups. You know, I'm a woman, mm-hmm. I'm a lesbian, but I'm also a part of various majority <laughs> wealthy, <laughs> white, you know, mm-hmm privileged educated i don't feel qualified to say you know this native american passing storyline is offensive to me but it does seem um like it could be problematic yeah (laughs) and you know i guess i'm mostly qualified to say i feel like we don't have enough gay characters on television (laughs) And I think Titus is hilarious. <laughs> but um, that's mostly because of his Pinot Noir music video. Now, you should definitely watch that episode. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, go I was ahead. just going to say, what I, what do you think about this stuff? Do you And do you think, um, would you would you stop watching a show based on this kind of thing or would you give it a chance to see where it goes so i i i was aware of some of the the problematic issues prior to watching it and so i watched the first episode and i liked it a lot and and i thought it was funny and then i watched the second episode and they had uh, a mariachi band yes yeah and I realized that I did not laugh once through the second entire second half of the show, uh, except at Carol Kane. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, you know, I started to see how troubling it was, but then I thought I'm like, I'm, I was offended because of my association with the stereotype Yet the like crazy gay roommate was funny. Do you know what I mean? Like I could see how it could be offensive. He's really gay, like <laughs> super gay. Um, but I, you, it made me really kind of pay attention to what I took offense to and what I didn't. Yeah. Um, so I read. A, I've read a couple of articles. And Kat Chow did one for NPR called um, Why It's So Hard for Us to Agree About Dong from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And she talks about how there's a tension between whether it's whether his character's a stereotype or whether it's pushing against the stereotypes. And the same Mm -hmm. as um, Jane Krakowski's character. I read another article um, from um, Indian Country Today. It's a why Kimmy Schmidt's native subplot is great, a native fan's yeah. opinion. And now there are definitely some articles that I also read that were like, there should it, if if she's a Native American, it should be a Native American actress. Yeah. But she had some interesting things to say about um 
people passing and like um the way being blonde and white is coveted, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it it seems interesting. So I don't, you know, I think it's good for for us to have reasons to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess what I wish what I feel like is going on is sort of like the L word syndrome where that was the only show with lesbians on it. And so <laughs> So you were gonna be so happy about you were it. Like, this is the only show with lesbians on it. Um it feels wrong to be disappointed in it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. But I mean now Kimmy Schmidt is not the only show with gay characters right. or Asian characters. And I think what got to me about the you know in the episode that I saw about the stereotype was that it felt lazy and that's what always pisses me off is yeah, that I, when it when it's lazy it, and it it takes the easy way and i think and i think it's great that um that dong is a love interest for kimmy and that he's you know that they're kind of on the same plane where she hasn't been in the world for 15 years and he's an immigrant and he doesn't necessarily like he knows more than her about some stuff. And, um, I like that aspect of it. And I, and I just wonder how it would be if he didn't have all the other Mm -hmm. stereotypical, um, baggage, but I think it does say interesting stuff about, like when her roommate um, gets a job as a werewolf and he spends a lot of time in his werewolf costume because he gets treated better as a werewolf than as a gay black man. <laughs> well, and so that is a really important discussion to have, right? right. Um, just like the passing. I think the passing discussion is a really fascinating one to have. Um, yeah, would it be better if that character were played by a Native American actress who really was passing? Probably, but we're still having the conversation. Right. So, you know, I don't know. I'll probably watch the second season. Um, You know, I'm curious as to where everything picks up. Uh Um, But I think, you know, it's not without its problems, I guess. What do you think of Ellie Kemper? I thought she was great in this role. Like it, it requires sort of relentless optimism with a steely, <laughs> with a steely undercurrent. Yeah. Like, um, she's, she, the, the way she's written, it's like, she does these asides, like, yeah, there was weird sex stuff in the bunker. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, she gets really invested in like extracting people from situations that she feels are, you know, keeping them trapped Mm -hmm. or because you, and you can see like her trying to work through this stuff. And I also see how the plot device of keeping her, you remember that movie with Alicia Silverstone? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What's it called? Clueless? No, 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 not that one. (laughs) Where they were like, um, I think it was, or maybe it was Brendan Fraser or was it both? Let me look it up. But they were like trapped in, some kind of nuclear facility or, um, you know, like a shelter. And then they, do you remember this one? Yes. But it's like, you have to do something like something like that in order to, yeah, it was blast from the past. Yep. 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 A naive man who comes out into the world after being in a nuclear fallout shelter for 35 years. So that, that storytelling, um, 
trope or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. where you can use a naive person to examine things that are weird and stupid about our current society. Yeah. Yeah. Is useful, I think, but in a few years, it's probably going to be super dated. Mm-hmm. And it'd be like, what does that joke even mean? <laughs> I don't know. Right. So it seems very of the moment and it seems very niche. Like Netflix is a good place for it mm-hmm. rather than, than NBC. Yeah, I agree. So I, I read something else really interesting. Um, and right now it's all just kind of, you know, rumor and gossip, but I guess Martin Short plays a dermatologist. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. And who bears a striking resemblance to uh, a real-life dermatologist, Dr. Brandt, who just committed suicide. Oh, no. And there were stories today that he had seen Kimmy Schmidt and was very upset about the way he was portrayed. Oh. I know. So... And I mean, it's just one of those things where you read it and you're like, oh, okay, could be anything, you know, you don't know. But I I just thought how fascinating that something so small like this show, you know, it's 22 minutes on Netflix. You have to have Internet access to see it has made these ripples. It says, yeah, dermatologist, quote, devastated by Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt parody found dead. Well. Yeah, they kind of put it right there in the headline. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, and that got me thinking, like, how must the people working on the show feel with that sort of accusation? Because that's what it feels like is... You uh, yeah, I don't know. That that's another interesting discussion. <laughs> and does the does the show continue after this? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is the show really? Uh, I don't know if you can call the show responsible for this. Do you know what I mean? Like, does the show bear any responsibility? He's a celebrity. I mean, it's a parody. You're right. allowed to parody people. Absolutely. And there's no definitive proof that watching the show was the ultimate cause. You know, no right. one knows for sure. Um, so, and in some ways, it actually feels irresponsible to put that in the headline. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I just I, I I thought it was interesting the way this this little show is just kind of making very big waves. Well, mostly what it does to me is I get the theme song stuck in my head. <laughs> um, and I, and then I can't get it out. Yeah, I can so. see that. Um, all right. Well, so did you have anything else? I think that's all. That's I'm just still thinking about it, which. Um, you know, I st- we stopped watching it. We finished it like a month ago and I'm still thinking about it. So, I think that is good. That's I really prefer good. I prefer culture that I'm still thinking about rather than like a movie where I go and then as soon as I leave the theater, I can't remember anything about it. Absolutely. And I think you can still be thinking about something and not have liked it necessarily. 
you yes. know, not have come away from it and been like, that was great. But, but just the fact that you continue to think on it and um, things remind you of it. I think that that's, uh, that's the mark of something really interesting. Yeah. yeah absolutely. All right. So lay it on me then. All right. So mine is Outlander. 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 Have you watched any? I have watched three episodes now. Go on. I read the book five years ago or six some years ago. Yeah. I remember almost nothing. Okay, good. I listened to the worst bestsellers episode <laughs> about it. And they mostly were concerned or whatever you uh, want to call it mm-hmm. about the number of herbs <laughs> and <laughs> the I the gay panic, which I remember. Oh, Yeah not liking when I read it. There's super gay panic and there's also rape. Right. There's a lot of rape. Yeah. And um, I was watching this show with Shirley Spice last night and I was like, is every episode going to be someone almost getting raped or getting raped and Jamie getting beaten up? And she's mm. probably. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you watched the first three though, right? We watched, we watched the first three. And there were, what, eight in the first half of the season or whatever it is, however they split this up. Right, yeah. Because apparently this is the thing to do now, is to split up seasons. Okay, fine. <sighs> I did this with Mad Men, too. Makes me angry. Anyway, yes. So, and for the most part, um, it sticks very closely to the book. So, so I was going to ask you, so how is it as an adaptation? Yeah, it's very, very close to the book. So right before the the show premiered, I reread via audiobook. And um, I know we were doing this podcast then. That's right. See, and I was very excited about listening to it because it was really good. And um, so it was all very fresh in my mind when I started watching the show. And it it's interesting because Fred watched the first few episodes with me and he was like, nothing happens in this show. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, lots of stuff happens. But I think because I had so much in my head from the book that I was able to kind of uh, overlay <laughs> the not as exciting action on the screen. Um, I don't know that they, I think they, they try to make Frank, who's the the modern day husband, a bigger character. So here's my spoiler. Wait, wait, wait. Do we need to um, roughly s- summarize? Oh, sure. We can do that really fast. So uh, Outlander is about uh, a woman, and it, it starts off uh, just after World War II. And she, both she and her husband have been uh, serving in the war and they had married right before the war, but because of it, they weren't able to spend any time together. So they are kind of on their second honeymoon in the Highlands. And um, she goes looking, or her name's Claire. She goes looking for herbs because she's like into herbs and, <laughs> and botany. And she goes to this ancient stone circle and hears weird noises, puts her hands on a stone, and is suddenly in uh, the 18th century and in the middle of a, of a battle between some Englishmen and some Scots. And she gets picked up by the Scots and transported to, uh, I don't know, whatever Sweet it's called. castle. Yeah, I guess it's a castle, right? It is a castle. Yeah. And... um. In order to 
stay alive and not be captured by the British and sent to prison. She has to marry a Scot so that she can become Scottish. And all of this, shit. yeah, and all of this is intertwined with her trying to get back to the Stone Circle to try to get back to her own time. Um, and then she, of course, she has to marry the youngest Scot there. The youngest, and, hottest Scott. Youngest, hottest Scott. And then, lo and behold, they fall in love. Hey, what do you know? So does he, um, does he have to spank her in the, um, <laughs> the adaptation? <sighs> yes. But I don't Spoiler. remember. <laughs> I, I don't remember that scene being as upsetting as it was in the book. And I think they toned it down. It was very upsetting in the book. Oh, it was awful. It was awful, awful, awful. Um, but so, what? I, one of my spoilers, this might be my only one, is that in the last episode before the season break, um, they go way off from the book. And they devote almost half the episode to the husband that she's left behind. So in the book, once she goes... Um, once she time travels, you stay with her. You never go back to see what the husband's doing. Right. Um, and so the show, and I read an article today about it, and the show decided that they wanted to just take a look at what was going on with the husband while Claire is falling in love with Jamie. So while Claire is kind of falling in love with Jamie, her new young Scottish husband, um, they show Frank who is mourning the loss of his wife and searching for her and kind of having this breakdown, which I, you know, it was interesting. Um, at first I was like, how dare you go off script? But I was like, well, okay, that's fine. It worked. I guess. <laughs> Have you read any of these subsequent books? I got halfway through the second one before I just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> And I think what was getting to me was it doesn't pick up where the last one leaves off immediately. And so it picks up way in the future. Right, right, right. I heard about that. I read an article that said they weren't sure how that was going to work with the actors. Yeah, because they're old actors. Right, exactly. Um, And and it just, you know, when you finish the book, you're with Claire and Jamie and you're in that world and you want to stay in that world. And then the second book starts and you're like, what? A minute. Ah. Yeah. But I thought, you know, I think that the series does a really great job with the world building. Um, It feels a lot like the book. Um, Obviously, the actors have amazing accents and they do a really good job. Um, I, I feel like maybe... Claire is not as headstrong as she is in the book. She feels very independent in the book. Um, and she it she just kind of comes across as surlish <laughs> in the show sometimes, like just kind of pouty and mm. um so I'm hoping she develops that independence a little bit more. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, not quite as poopy. Because <laughs> she's just poopy. And what is the average attempted rape per episode? <laughs> one and a half. I'll say, I'll say it averages out to one and a half per episode. Oh. Let's see. The last one we saw had one, one or two. I don't remember. Yeah. But then, and, you know, there's an episode that doesn't have one. So really? It's, yeah, it's what all averages out. 
Yeah, so I don't want to take that lightly. It's, uh, it's, I don't, I guess you could say that's a reality of 1700 Scotland, or you could say, wow, that's a lot of rape. And so, how is the gay panic in the series versus the book? So, the, uh, the episode... So, the character, um, Jack Randall, who is a British officer, and he... He's supposed to look just like her husband, and in the series, because he's a, an ancestor of her husband, and in the series, they're played by the same actor. Um, he in the in the book, it's weird. It's never he's never called gay. It's more like he has a proclivity for young men, um, but not you know they won't come out and say that he's gay. It hasn't been approached yet in the series. There's a really really awful part of the book. Um, where he tortures Jamie. And that's where I would say the bulk of the gay panic is. Right. Um, The series hasn't gotten to that yet. So right now it's just uh, him being a jerk and trying to rape Claire. All right. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot of rape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do it. Um, even for Scottish accents, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of rape. There's a lot of violence. Um, I, you know, it, but violence against women, you know, like guys beating up guys, I guess I'm, I'm kind of, uh, immune to, well, but yeah, right. Um, but yeah, the, I, there's a scene where Randall beats up Claire and it's awful in the book, and they replicate it almost identically in the show. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's interesting. I haven't seen much about the, that level of uh, problem with the show. You know, so, like, we've talked about how there are a bunch of articles talking about how Kimmy Schmidt was problematic, but... There hasn't been a lot, or at least I haven't seen a lot in the stuff that I, you know, in the sites that I frequent or in links that people post about Outlander. Right. And kind of, this is happening on screen. It, I think when it's mentioned, it's like, well, it's in the book. But then there's but no then discussion the about the book. problematic also. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think that Roxanne Gay has been recapping them for... The episodes for Vulture, mm-hmm. and also commenting on the the toast or the butter, whichever side. Yeah. In the last one, she was like, "And there was rape, and then more rape, and <laughs> so I don't, you know." Yeah, I think the only one I remember reading, the only recap of hers I remember reading was the wedding one. Right. So. Uh, Which everyone was breathlessly waiting for. Mm-hmm. I'll have to watch to that point. <laughs> at least watch that one yeah i I, i'm curious to see what they're gonna do because it it only gets in terms of the book it only gets worse right you know the story at this point only gets a lot a lot more graphic a lot more um scary Uh, yeah it only gets worse so i'm curious to see 
how, what they do, you know, does it continue to be so true to the book? Do they try to balance it with something else? I don't know. I don't know either. It should be, it should be interesting to watch. Yeah, it should be. And I assume there will be people like all the people who watched Game of Thrones but didn't read the book and then were shocked and appalled by various things. <laughs> Maybe there will be some of those people. <laughs> I think there will be some of those people. That will be fun to watch them. <laughs> I wonder how many people are watching it who haven't read it. I don't know. That should be interesting. Yeah. Um. So I have an analogy to draw, which is she does not produce books very often. And when she does, they're like door stops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she is sort of like George R. R. Martin, but people don't give her the same guff as they do him. Like, why aren't you writing? You promised us a book. What are you doing? Why are you making appearances? You should be <laughs> writing. And um, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder why they feel like they can do that with him. Well, I so my theory is it's male fans versus female fans. <laughs> Okay. Male fans of fantasy are feeling entitled to the next book. Mm. And he's also made the mistake of saying at some point, it's supposed to be X number of books long. Right. You should never do that. You should never <laughs> do that. I mean, I guess Sue Grafton did that when she started doing A is for Alibi. Well, you know, <laughs> that one kind of makes sense. <laughs> And we all were wondering, is she going to make it to Z? <laughs> I think people would have been suspicious if she was like, it's a 10-book series. <laughs> but I feel like there's a different sense of entitlement between the two, I think, kind of similar series in that, in that like, anticipated doorstopper release mm-hmm. of long-running, I don't know. That's very interesting, and that that reminds me a little bit of what's going on this week with the Hugo Awards. God. Um, yes, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> at at, at uh, male fans feeling entitled. Yeah. So I have a speaking of worst bestsellers, I have a would you rather for you. <laughs> okay. They do would you rather every episode. All right. Would you rather? be trapped in a bunker for 15 years or be time traveled back to Scotland away from Fred and Emma. Well, the bunker would be away from Fred and Emma too, right? Well, I know, but you'd at least be in the same place when you got out. Oh, fair. Fair. All right. Gosh. Uh, uh, I'd probably go with the bunker. All right. Yeah. How about you? Um, I I think I'd uh, uh, I'd probably go with the bunker also, even though it seems terrible. I know. I know. I feel like I I'm betraying some sort of librarian. I'm not sure I'd be very good at living in in 18th century Scotland. Well, this is what I was thinking. Also, but I I'm not sure that the I don't bunker... know anything about herbs. <laughs> I don't know that the bunker would offer any more pleasant uh, sleeping and bathing arrangements, but... No, probably not. But Kimmy was stuck with a bunch of women, so... <laughs> I feel like I could do that, too. Um, oh, that was the other stereotype, was that one of the women was Mexican, and of course she was a maid. Well, she... Um, 
is revealed to be something else. Very savvy. Okay. Well, at least that at least in the first two episodes, and it was just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um. All right. So. So anyway, I'm not sure we're super recommending either of these series, but um, so everything's problematic. If you want something to talk about, <laughs> um, well, yeah, let's talk about the outcome of our poll. Oh right! So a few weeks ago, we asked, we put up a poll on our blog asking you um, if you wanted to do a kind of a group bellwether watch of a movie. Um, and we gave you two choices, Coming to America or It, the miniseries. And the listeners have chosen. Drumroll. <laughs> they chose Coming to America by an overwhelming margin. Um, so that is available on Netflix. And we will, by the time this podcast airs, have decided <laughs> when we will do our shared Internet watching of Coming to America. Yes. Yeah, sounds good. And we will also tell you about it. <laughs> we will just decide and give Before it to ourselves. Just, we'll, <laughs> we'll let you know. So, and I actually, I wanted to, um, I'm going to change gears completely, but I have a little bit of a rant this week. Oh, oh okay. I'll just sit back. <laughs> so, um, my rant this week is songs or music that I like being used in commercials. And so (laughs) I used to be really, really upset about it until I, you know, I thought, well, it's a really good way for new bands to get exposure and make some money. And, you know, that's fine. But I heard, so I don't know if you're familiar with uh, true romance, the movie um, with Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. Um, I heard of it. Okay. So from the 90s, from a while ago, um, but the score is done by Hans Zimmer. Oh, I love Hans Zimmer. And it's one of my, like, most favorite movie scores. Actually, it's called You're So Cool, which I think is kind of lame, but whatever. Uh, But it's so much, it's so pretty and it's so much fun. And it's always being used in commercials. And it really... (laughs) pisses me off because the last time it was used in a commercial it was a really cheap beer and this time it was used in a commercial i saw it last night for a samsung television and it it just it makes me really really angry because then suddenly it it feels like it cheapens the song that i like i'm sorry so that's my rant (laughs) (laughs) that sounds really hard (laughs) First world problems. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hi. All right. Um, musical obsessions. What's your music obsession this week? Okay. Well, this is complicated. Okay. So um, I had vacation last week. Yeah. And um, we went on a road trip and started to play the license plate game where you try to figure – where you try to see all the license plates from different states that you can and keep track. Yes. And apparently a side effect of the license plate game is that every time you say you see California, you think of Katy Perry's California Girls <laughs> and not any of the other California songs that exist. No, no. It has to be that song. Mm-hmm. No. So, Actually, as soon as you said California, oh, I started yeah. singing it in my head. 
So I'm sorry, but that is the recurring theme. Wow. All right. So I actually have two because um, it's been two weeks since we last talked about it. Oh, sorry. So- <laughs> is that girls with the G-U-R-L-S? Anyway, carry on. I'm not sure. Uh, so the first one uh, last week's is it's called Running in Circles. The song is called Running in Circles. And the band is Pop Etc. But it's ETC. And um, I love it because it's a mishmash of like every 80s song ever. Ooh, I like that. It's awesome. And this week I am really liking Our Own House by Mr. Wives, which is all one word, Mr. Wives. And um, my favorite part is the chorus because there are horns and I'm, I'm a sucker for horns. I love horns. That's what she said. <laughs> So what are you obsessing about this week that's not music related? Well, so license plates. I'm still obsessed with license <laughs> plates. Trying to find them all. They're like um, Pokemon. I saw I saw Arizona today. Woo-hoo. So there. All right. Here in Massachusetts, I actually turned around because I thought I saw it and I drove back to that's hilarious. The car was parked. <laughs> and it was there. Um, so I've been doing the, have you heard of the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up? No. It's like a thing, okay? So it's, <laughs> it's, like a it's thing. from Japan. Oh, okay. This woman wrote this very, pretty small book about tidying up, which is, is invoking various reactions, I would say. Um, but she advocates putting... Basically, she says that doing a little bit at a time is not helping you because it's just going to reaccumulate. And so what you need to do is, like, do everything, and then you can maintain perfection once you've achieved it. Oh, no, that's too much pressure. (laughs) So she advocates putting everything that belongs together together someplace where you can see it all, like spreading all of your books out on the floor so that you can organize them and get rid of what you want to get rid of or pack up what you need to pack up. So I decided, like, that would be daunting, putting all my books on the floor. I don't think I could actually, I would need, I don't know how I could possibly do that. I would have to do it by genre or something. <laughs> but taking this um, idea, I I have two bathrooms in my house. I gathered everything in both the bathrooms and I put it on my kitchen floor, oh. and I like I saw where I had somehow acquired like five tubes of toothpaste, and I put them all together. So now I know I don't need to buy toothpaste, you know. Oh, okay. And like I realized I had two things of body wash that were not from your company, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I didn't even know I had this. So I put them in the shower, you know. So it was really great because I got rid of a lot of stuff. I got rid of stuff that had been property of my ex spouse who hasn't lived here for five years, you know? And, um, while I was at it, like while everything was out of the bathrooms, I cleaned off the shelves, everything. And and since then, this was like a a month ago, I have maintained perfection. I've been like, I know where that goes. It goes right there. That's where those things go. The end. So my bathrooms are perfect. The rest of my house (laughs) Has not achieved perfection, but um, so it is life changing, and it sounds it like life- magic. 
it, it really so it took me like two or three hours to like gather everything and and go through it and decide what I wanted to do with it and you know I donated some stuff to uh, Goodwill and I took some stuff to work to get rid of it and I threw a bunch of stuff out and it was just um, a great purge and now I know what I have and I know where it is. So does she advocate simplifying? She advocates uh, she advocates touching everything mm. and if it doesn't bring you joy, mm-hmm. if, it, if you don't have like a emotional reaction to it, then considering whether you need it or not. Like, has it served its purpose in your life? Mm-hmm. If so, then maybe you need to let it go. Mm. So. Man. All right. Serious business. Yeah. Especially for people like me who keep a lot of sentimental things around. Oh, man. I know. I'm just, like, picturing different rooms in my house and doing this, and it's, like, I want to curl up in a ball. But seriously, <laughs> a lot of the problem is that, like, the same kinds of things are in like five different places. But for a reason. <laughs> so I don't have to go tromping around the house. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a daunting prospect, but um, at least in the bathrooms, it has been very helpful. I will say that when we moved now two and a half years ago, um, I had to clean out the bathroom in order to pack it. And I was shocked at everything I found. Right. Like years old lotions and things and cleaning supplies. Yeah. Those do. Yeah. So yes, you're right. Okay. Magic done. Sold. (laughs) What are you obsessed with? I'm obsessed with baked crispy tofu. It's, Um. it's, Um, so it's not a pop culture thing, um, but uh, that could be a new superhero. (laughs) It's the name of my new band. Um, So recently, I had some uh, blood work done, and the results of that blood work were not pleasing. Uh, Sorry, I was advised to address my eating habits, and I went crazy and decided that I would do my best to cut back on all the animal products that I ate. And so, um, I try to do it. (laughs) Here I am. Um, I try to do at least, uh, two vegan meals a day. Um, three, if I can serious business, it is. Um, what I found is that I'm not eating enough. You're starving. I'm starving and I'm exhausted. Um, so I've been looking for ways to get more calories and more protein. And one of those is through tofu, which I like tofu, but um, there's only so many ways I know how to cook it. And it all ends up tasting the same. Tasting the same. That is the way of tofu. Yeah. So I went uh, hunting for better recipes. And I don't know if you're familiar with David Leibowitz. Nope. He's a, a cookbook author and food blogger, and he lives in Paris, or at least he did when I was reading his blog. I'm not sure if he still does. And I m- mainly knew him because he makes amazing chocolate desserts. <laughs> but he has a recipe for baked crispy tofu that looked really yummy and 
easy enough that I could do. And of course, it involves pressing your tofu to get all the liquid out, and then you have to marinate it for eight hours. But um, we did it all this morning. I pressed it this morning, and the marinade was quick, and I cut up the tofu and put it in, and it marinated all day. And then and you, and then you bake it and it's delicious and it's amazing and I want to eat it all the time. Okay, I might have to try this. It's Will you, really, um, really good. Send me the link and we can put it in our notes also. Yeah. In case anyone else wants to try. It. Oh, absolutely, because it's so good. It is so good. And the the seasoning in the marinade is definitely like an Asian. It's like soy, sesame, ginger. But I could see other yeah, yeah you could flavor profiles. Yeah. So tofu is very flexible since it doesn't taste like much. You can, <laughs> you can make it taste like whatever you want. So that's my obsession is baked crispy, baked crispy tofu. tofu. Okay. That's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so this was kind of a full episode. Yeah. Because we went on some tears at the end. <laughs> we talked about a lot of stuff. Um, but thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Carolyn. You can find me all over the internet at Paper Squared, P-A-P-E-R-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D. And I'm Anna. You can find me online at Helga Grace, H-E-L-G-A-G-R-A-C-E. And our in and out music was provided by lovely Julie Jurgens. You can find her on Twitter at Hi Miss Julie, H-I-M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E. 